Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Concord Matters here on this Tuesday, November 29th. Coming to you live from the studios of Worldwide KFUO here at the International Center of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, headquartered in Kirkwood, Missouri, in St. Louis County. I'm the host for this program. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen. I'm the pastor of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterre, Missouri, a congregation just south of St. Louis. If you want to find out more about our church, it's stmatthewbt.org. We're going to be having midweek Advent services as well as our regular Sunday morning service and Bible class, so you can check that out. Um, If you would like to participate in today's program, we welcome your phone call and or your email. Uh, We have a toll-free number across North America, and that number is 800-730-2727. Again, toll-free number 800-730-2727. And locally here in St. Louis, it's area code 314 Eight two one zero eight fifty again three one four eight two one zero eight fifty. If you'd like to send in your comment or question by email, our email address is kfuo at kfuo.org. Today we're going to be talking about two doctrines, two articles of doctrine from the Lutheran Confessions, one on original, uh, one on the article on God, and uh, the other on the article on um, original sin, both as they are found in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. And we have two guests online, uh, both in the eastern half of Iowa, uh, brothers in the ministry and brothers in the flesh, and they are pastors uh, John Preuss and Andrew Preuss, and we're going to say hello to each of them now. First of all, I believe, John, you are the elder of the two, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. All right, so you can always lord it over your your kid brother there. I always do. Good, good. So, uh, by the way, I looked at the uh, LCMS church worker locator this morning, just out of curiosity, and under ordained ministers, I found 12 12, count them, with the surname of Preuss, not to mention uh, assorted uh, cousins, etc., with uh, that married into the family, the, that married into the family with other last names. So I think you guys are about ready to form your own non-geographical district. Is that right, John? Well, it seems like we're getting pretty geographical here in Iowa East. Yeah, it's sort of the the. Uh, the bastion for uh, prices, isn't it? Uh, it has become. <laughs> yeah. So, John, you are the pastor uh, at Trinity Lutheran Church in Clinton, Iowa. Tell us a little bit about your church. Well, it's a it's a church of uh, of uh, Lutherans who come. <laughs> it's uh, it's right here in Clinton, Iowa. It's on the Mississippi, the very very eastern part of the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, like many congregations, it's an older congregation. Um, 
but uh, there are some young families, including my own, and uh, we've been here for about five years now. And uh, it's, a, it's a joy to serve them with the gospel. And I saw your website this morning, trinityclinton.com. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. Trinityclinton.com. And you can go there and find out more about service times. And I'm guessing you have special uh, midweek Advent services and so forth. Yep, you bet. Good, good. And then also on the line, also in Iowa East, is your kid brother, uh, Andrew Price. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Good, and you are a pastor of a dual parish, uh, and believe. Tell me, tell me if I've got the pronunciation correct. Trinity in. Do you say Guttenberg or Gutenberg? Uh, we say Guttenberg. Guttenberg, and St. Paul in McGregor, Iowa, and you have the most interesting uh, website address I think I've come across. It's called Listen to Jesus dot info. Yeah, that was uh, my my predecessor. Uh, had that um, as the website. Um, I guess he would always say, listen to Jesus in his sermons, and it was kind of his, I don't know, just his trademark, or, uh, but, you know, it's a good thing to say, and uh, so that's why they called it that, and uh, I so, haven't really done much work on that website. Yeah, but if people here. come to Tr- Trinity and Guttenberg and St. Paul and McGregor, they will be able to listen to Jesus, I hope. Oh, yeah, yeah. I uh, I, I, I try to I try not to tell too many stories about myself. I try to talk about Jesus. That's that's basically a pretty good idea, I think, because they're not yeah. going to hear that anywhere else. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, gentlemen, today we're going to uh, launch into the articles of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 1 on God, and Article 2 on Original Sin. And um, I guess we should start with uh, these terms, Augsburg Confession, and then the apology of the Augsburg Confession. Uh, John Price, what do we mean by the Augsburg Confession? Well, the Augsburg Confession is named after the, the city where the confession was, uh, was read aloud. And uh, it was, uh, I can't remember offhand who it was read by. Um, maybe Andrew remembers. But uh, it was basically an, uh, an explanation or a confession of what the evangelical churches were teaching, and it has a very conciliatory tone to it because uh, despite the, the, the grandeur of the Roman Catholic claims, they do not and have never really enjoyed that much unity. And so uh, there have been all sorts of sects within the pale of the papacy, and the, the evangelicals were aiming to correct abuses that they saw uh, in the, the Holy Roman Empire. And obviously it turned out to be, uh, to be a bigger deal than just where they were. But they were giving assurance to the emperor that they were not uh, heretics or sectarians, but were simply correcting abuses and doctrinal errors. So these were some Lutheran princes appearing before Emperor Charles V, in the city of Augsburg, what year would that have been? That was a much con- more concise answer. That's great. <laughs> it was, it was uh, June 25th, 1530. 1530, all right. So here were these uh, princes 
of territories that had taken up the uh, teaching promoted by Luther and Melanchthon and so forth during the 1520s. And now the emperor is kind of calling them together. He said, the Turk is at the gate of Vienna and we've got to be united uh, politically. And uh, so because of the interweaving of politics and religion, uh, the the religious teachings were also um, taken up under consideration. Right. All right. Now, Andrew, if this confession of what they teach in their churches was presented in 1530, um, what is the apology of the Augsburg Confession? Is this where they say, sorry, we really didn't mean it? Uh, yeah, no, they, um, they weren't apologizing for confessing. Um, what happened was the, the representatives of the Pope uh, responded to the Augsburg Confession, which was known as the Confutation, or the Pontifical Confutation of the Augsburg Confession, where they went through each article and approved the things that they liked and disapproved of the things that they didn't like and gave their arguments um, for why the Augsburg Confession was uh, contrary to the faith. And so, um, so, so the apology of the Augsburg Confession, apology means defense, Defense, okay. Um, and so you, so so Melanchthon then uh, sat down and wrote the apology to respond to all of the uh, uh, all the claims and arguments made by the papal uh, Roman Catholic uh, uh, opposers of the Augsburg Confession, and so that's uh, you'll see references throughout the apology to the confutation. Um, and the arguments that they made there. Now, as I understand it, they were not even allowed a copy, a printed copy of the Roman confutation. Uh, they were just able to listen to it and had to sort of reassemble it after That's the right. fact. Is that correct? Yeah. So, uh, you know, and this really gives us uh, a, a good understanding of the attention span and the ability of, uh, of being able to take notes um, in, in those days, especially with gifted, gifted men such as Philip Melanchthon, who's the one who took notes. And he took uh, such... And what's interesting is that like, uh, like Luther's lectures are often uh, simply copies of the notes that, that the students took, and so they're just copying down everything he's saying. Mm-hmm. So Philip Melanchthon did this, and he just took... He, he took very accurate notes and, uh, and based his response um, on the notes that you took. Yeah. And what, so, what year did the apology, this defense document, come out? Well, that would have been a year later. Okay. Um, uh, 1531. 1531. So, uh, as you mentioned, the confutation approves some articles and uh, uh, disapproves of some others. Uh, now, with the Augsburg Confession, I believe it was like the first 21 articles that the Lutherans presented, the evangelicals presented, they said, well, these probably will be of no um, dispute, and we just corrected some abuses in some of the later, that they present in the later articles, 22 through 28. But what they discovered, what the Lutherans discovered, was there were some real issues, even in the things they thought would be common ground, as we're going to see. But let's get into the first article, where there is plenty of common ground. There's no dispute at all. But when we get to Article 2, we're going to find, even though on the surface it looks like there's agreement, there's some real disagreement that is very significant. But in Article 1, the doctrine of God, um, 
And just to set the stage here, I'll, I'll quote a little bit of the Augsburg Confession of 1530 to set the stage then for the apology. In the Augsburg Confession, it states, our churches teach with common consent that the decree of the Council of Nicaea about the unity of the divine essence and the three persons is true. And then it goes on from there. It's a very brief article, basically saying we subscribe to the Nicene Creed. Um, Pastor uh, John Price, what is meant here by one divine essence, three distinct persons? Well, this is uh, the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is one. Uh, there is only one God, but within the Godhead, there are three persons. And these words uh, were, are, are not biblical words, but that which they confess are most certainly biblical. Uh, and that's why uh, the, uh, the uh, Augsburg Confession, Article 1, says that we agree with the Council of Nicaea. They didn't invent doctrine. They simply confessed what the Bible teaches and so these words uh, are used to explain what exactly the Bible teaches, that he is one God but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, so uh, uh, the Lutherans here are simply saying, we are Trinitarian, we're not coming up with anything new. Exactly. Uh, what does that also say uh, about what the Lutherans will claim throughout the Augsburg Confession? Yeah, exactly. And this is kind of what I was getting at before, that, uh, that they are not a sectarian group. They're not trying to start a revolt. Uh, they, they are not even trying to leave the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, necessarily. Uh, they uh, acknowledge the, the one faith, which was delivered for all time to the saints, and uh, they uh, are only aiming to, uh, to uh, correct doctrinal abuses um, and uh, remain in the Church. Yeah, and so in the Apology then, let me just uh, quote the, the article in the Apology, our adversaries, that's a reference to the Confutation, our adversaries approve Article 1 of our Confession, in which we declare that we believe and teach that there is one divine, undivided essence, yet there are three distinct persons of the same divine essence and co-eternal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have always taught and defended this article, we believe that it has sure and firm testimonies in Holy Scripture that cannot be overthrown. We constantly affirm that those thinking otherwise are outside of Christ's church, are idolaters, and insult God. So here the Lutherans are simply agreeing with the Roman Catholics that we are Trinitarian. We subscribe to the, you know, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, um, uh, that we're not coming up with anything novel here. Right. Uh, and that uh, if, if people don't believe that, they're really outside of the Christian faith. Uh, Andrew, uh, are there groups today that are not Trinitarian but claim to be Christian? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, there are far too many of them. Uh, there are uh, the ones in our midst that, we're, that our hearers are probably most familiar with uh, would probably be the, the Mormons, and the Jehovah Witnesses, uh, who the Mormons have just a very strange, I and mean, I don't think we have time to really go into all of what they say, but, you know, they're, they're basically going to, they're both going to be anti-Trinitarian. Um, the uh, one that isn't quite as well-known, maybe, uh, but is, is very prominent um, 
is the uh, oneness Pentecostal. That was the next group um, I was thinking of. You've mentioned yeah. the three that I've thought of also. Yeah, and so the, uh, the, they, you could kind of compare them to the, uh, the, the modalist, uh, modalistic monarchians. Um, <laughs> I understand <laughs> what old. you mean. I don't know if anybody yeah, else so does. The mo- modalistic monarchian. Mo- monarchian would be, you know, would, would describe the, 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 the majesty of God. And modalist would be that there's that the God is in three different modes, but he's not. They're not actually persons. They're not actually distinct. Um, uh, per, you know, uh, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It was like God appeared for a while as the Father, and then as Jesus, yeah. and then as yeah. the Holy Spirit, sort of morphing from one to the other. Exactly. And I actually just um, um, the, a young lady came to church uh, about a year ago and uh, said that she was interested in joining the church and asked what she had to do. And I asked, well, what's your background? And she grew up in one of these Jesus-only Pentecostal sects, except this one was, um, they straight up denied that Jesus was God. And usually the modalists will say that Jesus is God, but it's, it's more, they'll say that that was just one manifestation or kind mm-hmm. of one one appearance of God, but now he appears in a different form, and so he's not really God anymore. And so uh, what I ended up doing, and she had been baptized in the name of Jesus and all that, and so uh, so what I explained to her was that she actually hadn't been baptized, mm-hmm. um, because she wasn't baptized in the name of the Triune God, um, according to Christ's institution. And so I um, took her through instruction, and she, uh, by the grace of God, uh, received the gift of baptism and is, uh, has has finished her her um, catechesis, and uh, so I'm very very uh, thankful that she is enjoying the the fullness of God's gifts um, that comes from the Triune God. Now you mentioned about being baptized in the name of the Holy Trinity. One positive thing here between the Lutherans and the Catholics is we are agreed. There is no disagreement between the Roman Church and our Lutheran Church on on the Trinitarian nature of God. And so uh, if a Roman Catholic were to come into our Lutheran Church and be catechized, there would be no need to be rebaptized because they've already been baptized with a valid Trinitarian baptism. That's right. And that's, uh, and that's a great comfort to know that. Um, and we can, take a great, we can be encouraged that um, while there is so much false teaching and really... Uh, you know, stuff that just uh, diametrically attacks the gospel, that God still manages to reign and insofar as his name is rightly being proclaimed. And, uh, and that's a, you know, it's not an excuse for us to be lax on our doctrine, right. um, but, it is, but it is an encouragement uh, to us to know that God is still um, going to shine through the darkness. Uh, yes. even when there is false teaching around it. Right. So Lutherans have never claimed that we're the only ones that are going to be in heaven. I mean, uh, uh, Roman well, Catholics... by the time they get there. Yeah, they'll all be Lutheran when yeah. they get to heaven. That's right. <laughs> but, you know, if, if someone is baptized in the name of the Triune God in the Roman Church or the Eastern Orthodox Church, and they're hearing the Word of God through a what we would call a felicitous, felicitous inconsistency, they may not in their heart be clinging to the false teachings but actually be clinging uh, to the true faith in Christ alone as the Savior and thus be saved. That's right. But as you say, this is no excuse for uh, uh, letting condoning false teaching. Now, we're going to see a problem here in Article 2 when we come to the article on original sin. Now, let me just preface that uh, 
by a little quote here from the Augsburg Confession, uh, our churches teach that since the fall of Adam, all who are naturally born are born with sin. That is, without the fear of God, without trust in God, and with the inclination to sin called concupiscence. Concupiscence is a disease and original vice that is truly sin. It damns and brings eternal death on those who are not born anew through baptism and the Holy Spirit, etc. All right, so here it's saying that ever since the fall of Adam, you know, our first parents, Adam and Eve, the fall into sin, that all who are naturally born are born with sin. Now, what they make the point here about all who are naturally born are born with sin. Why do they phrase it so carefully there, uh, John, uh, in relation to what might be said about our brother Jesus Christ? Yeah, well, the, uh, the natural way is, uh, it almost sounds like a euphemism. We know where babies come from, and we also know where uh, Jesus came from. He was born of a virgin. And this natural way is referring to that which we inherit from our father, Adam, mm-hmm. uh, who, by his disobedience, uh, corrupted the entire stock of humanity, so that uh, just as we inherit not just, uh, uh, you know, a weakness, um, but also uh, his guilt and his, pro, uh, his, his inclination uh, to sin, and, and with that inclination, also his rebellion. Obviously, Christ not being born in the natural way. Obviously, he was born of a woman in a natural So he way. is our true brother. He is true man. Yeah, exactly. He's true man. And yet, but, but there's, uh, with this, this subtle distinction here, and they're being careful, like you say, uh, there's comfort to know that that the corruption of humanity uh, is is does not so define humanity that it is beyond redemption. That Christ assumed that which he redeemed. He became a true man, and yet, being a true man, he was able to. Uh, uh, although he bore the curse, he was able to be born apart from original sin without it. And the book of Hebrews makes that point in a couple of places, like I think it's in chapter 2 and chapter 4, that he is truly our brother, yet uh, sin accepted. Right. Yeah, so he able he's able to be our sympathetic high priest and know our weaknesses and uh, give us help when we need it. Right. But uh, this matter of the original sin, uh, Andrew, why do we use the term original sin? What is so original about it? Well, we are we're getting to the uh, the core of what the what what sin really is. We're getting to the origin of it, um, and so when we think of original sin, we're going to think really of two things. We're going to think of an event of when and where it happened. It first happened, so where it originated from. It originated from uh, the sin of Adam and Eve. Um, and uh, but we're also looking at, and this is where it becomes uh, uh, a very. Um, this is where it becomes uh, uh, contentious between the Lutherans and the Roman Catholics is on where today do we find it? Is it is it simply uh, uh, you know just a, a tinder sin, or is it a uh, you know uh, as they'll say. Um, or, and we'll get into that, or is it, you know, 
where where really is where where does it actually come from? You know, and, and so the Lutherans are going to say, well, it comes from the heart. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a, it comes from our de- our desires are actually tainted with sin, and it's not just you know bad things that you do. So the uh, issue between the Roman confutation and the Lutherans is going to be how far-reaching and uh, corrupting and damnable is this thing we call original sin, and they introduce a term here called uh, concupiscence, which we will get into also. So that was from the. Um, from the Augsburg Confession, and the you would think that that is common ground, and the Roman confutation is going to say we we uh, approve of this, but uh, Melanchthon is sharp enough to see how they're really not approving of it, and uh, we just have a little bit of time here before the break, I believe, uh, what about a minute or so? Yeah, so let me just introduce this here from the Apology. The adversaries approve Article 2, Original Sin, but in such a way that they actually condemn our definition of original sin, which we give in passing. Here, right at the outset, Your Majesty, or here, right at the outside, outset, Your Majesty, that's a reference to Emperor Charles V, Your Majesty will discover that the Confutation's writers were lacking not only judgment, but also honesty. No, they're being a little deceptive in what they say here. We simply wanted to mention the things that original sin includes. But these men, by creating a misleading interpretation, cleverly twist a statement that in itself contains nothing wrong. So they say to lack, quote, they say to lack fear of God and to lack faith is actual guilt. Therefore, they deny it is original sin. And we're going to come back to that after the break, this this misleading thing about talking about actual guilt, but denying that it's original sin. You're listening to Concord Matters on Worldwide KFUO. Ad Crusum offers theologically sound, scripturally rich, and high-quality items for nearly every occasion. They have exquisite greeting cards, handcrafted jewelry, fine art, crucifixes, church certificates, banners, and much more. AdCrusum.com has amazing products at great prices. That's AdCrusum.com. Greeting cards and gifts designed and made in the USA. Confessing the faith through art and word. AdCrusum.com. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org slash jobsboard. Recently graduated from high school or college and looking for a chance to serve a community in need while sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? Lutheran Young Adult Corps may be for you. Lutheran Young Adult Corps provides opportunities for long-term, full-time service for 10 weeks through the summer or 10 months over the school year in places like St. Louis, Philadelphia, and Boston. Find out more about Lutheran Young Adult Corps by finding us online at lcms.org slash Y-A-C-O-R-P-S or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Lutheran Y-A Corps. In 1924, we embraced the new technology of that day. Radio, 
Since that day, we've stayed on the cutting edge of technology. There are many easy ways to listen to Worldwide KFUO. On the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the gospel of Christ in both word and song. Now that's why you should listen. The where and the how, well, that's up to you. The messenger of good news. Worldwide KFUO. A selfie worth $30 million. What? A painting was donated to the British National Trust in 2010 and was later identified as a self-portrait by Rembrandt. It is now considered worth at least $30 million, a treasure by one of the greatest painters in all of Europe's history. Known not only for his self-portraits, but for his biblical themes, Rembrandt created over 300 works inspired by the Bible. Rembrandt's religious life was largely unknown. One of his biblical works, which portrays the younger son from the parable of the prodigal son story, includes a self-portrait of Rembrandt as the artist painted himself as the younger son. It is a lasting reminder of Rembrandt's powerful biblical interpretation. The Bible. Engage in its impact and influence in every aspect of art and life. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. We're back on Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Charles Henriksen. We're talking with Pastor John Preuss and Pastor Andrew Preuss about uh, two articles from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, the article on God and the article on original sin. We're right now in the article on original sin. If you'd like to join our program with your comment or question, Toll-free number 800-730-2727, and here in St. Louis, 314-821-0850, and our email address, kfuo at kfuo.org. We just read uh, the first paragraph here from Article 2 on Original Sin, where the Roman confutation, the criticism of the Augsburg Confession, um, said that they... They approved of the Lutherans' article on original sin, but Melanchthon claims they're really disagreeing with it. So uh, when the uh, Roman theologians would say, to lack fear of God and to lack faith is actual guilt, Melanchthon claims that they're actually denying that it is original sin. How so, John? Well, because they're putting it into the category of actual sin uh, by saying, uh, that, uh, that basically they're, they're throwing out the entire definition. If our argument is that to lack fear, love, and trust in God is uh, the very nature of our original sin, um, then we win uh, the argument, you know, that this is our, our nature, and therefore we are by nature sinful. And, uh, and they're going to put it in the category of the things that we do. Okay. Yeah, that's a very helpful. I'm glad you put it that way about they're um, just saying that it is actual sin. Because I I know when I teach catechism, I often I, I always on the uh, on the uh, chalkboard or dry erase board, I always draw a put a drawing of a tree with its roots, and I put the roots down below the ground, as, and I say that is sin with a capital S, original sin, 
And then the fruits on the branches, I say, are actual sins that are produced by the original sin. And those can be either uh, sins of commission, where we do something wrong, or sins of omission, where we do uh, fail to do something right. So that is a very helpful point you make there, John, about uh, original sin and actual sins. Um, I'm, I'm guessing you, you boys also do a similar uh, analogy when you teach catechism, yes? Something similar. I like that a lot. I, uh, I think I've, I've used that once or twice. I think to make the further distinction between, between uh, commission, that is when you do wrong, and omission, when you fail to do right, you could even expand on that. And, you know, when either a rotten fruit, that would be commission, or omission would be like no fruit at all. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, no, that's very good. This matter of roots and fruits, that's, that's what we're getting at here, that the original sin, original sinful nature, this concupiscence, is in the roots, and therefore it's going to produce actual sins, the bad fruits. Right. Right, very good. All right, uh, let's move on here, and then I'm going to get to Andrew uh, next. I'm going to read paragraphs uh, two and three. Clearly, these sort of subtleties start in the schools, not in the emperor's council. Even though such sophistry can be easily refuted, we ask that the Augsburg Confession in German be examined so that all good people will understand that we do not teach anything absurd in this manner. matter. Uh, this will free us from the suspicion of teaching something new. For there, and he's referring to the German portion of the Augsburg Confession, for there it is written, quote, It is further taught that since Adam's fall, all human beings who are naturally conceived are born in sin. From their mother's womb, they are all filled with evil desire and the inclination toward evil. By nature, they have no true fear of God and no true faith in God. Close quotes. And then it goes on in paragraph 3 to say, As this passage demonstrates, we teach that those who are born according to the flesh, fleshly nature have concupiscence. This means people not only lack fear and trust in God, but also do not even have the power or gifts to produce fear and trust in God. What fault can be found with this point? Indeed, we think that we have explained and defended ourselves well enough to good men. For in this sense, the Latin description denies to nature the ability, gifts, and energy to produce fear and trust in God. In adults, we deny the ability actually to do anything truly good. So when we mention concupiscence, we understand not only the acts or fruit, but also the constant inclination of the nature. Uh, Andrew, Pastor Andrew Preuss, what is the important... Well, first of all, we should, we should clarify. He says uh, these sort of subtle, subtleties start in the schools because this is going to come up over and over again. Who is the foil here when he refers to the schools? Who are the theologians uh, included in that term, the schools? Yeah, um, and this is an important point which uh, which deals with um, you know a lot of the, the political uh, uh, environment that's going on at this at this point at this time. You know, leading up to the Reformation, it became very very popular to start new schools, and you had a lot of new schools coming up, and uh, and so what he 
and, and it was within the interest of, of the princes, the rulers of these territories, to have schools in their, in their places. And, uh, and, and with, so there's a, the Re- Reformation really is a reformation of the schools as well as of the churches. And so the schools that they're referring to would be what we um, uh, would, would understand as the scholastics. Okay. Um, and the scholastics uh, typically refers to those leading Roman Catholic theologians um, who were teaching um, teaching theology, but from the perspective of kind of um, um, a philosophical, you know, a lot of speculation, where they would they would try to uh, explain things kind of with with uh, with, with uh, terms of, of Aristotle. Yeah, and, philosophical. And yeah, and that by itself, it's not necessarily a problem if you use Aristotelian terms and stuff like that. But the problem was that they were letting Aristotle influence their theology, and so, so, so what, what else is going on here is that Melanchthon, along with the other with, with the princes here, they are making a uh, very diplomatic statement uh, to the emperor. Mm-hmm. They're saying. They're saying, Charles, it's not you; it's them. You, you're on. You should be on our side. We're not yeah. blaming you for this. So this it was the these late, those, late those medieval Roman Catholic theologians. Um, refresh my memory. I think it was guys like Gabriel Beale and yep. William, uh, of o- William Ockham, uh, Peter Lombard, uh, John perhaps Scotus. Yeah, Lombard. His sentences. Uh, you know, it goes back to Thomas Aquinas. Even. Right. And and in fact, this uh, this idea really does go to Thomas Aquinas' definition of faith, where, the, where uh, Thomas Aquinas said that, that uh, and this is how it's defined in the, the Catholic Catechism today, is they take Aquinas' definition of faith, which is basically the conforming of the intellect and the will to the words of God or to the things of God, and that by itself, it's not necessarily a bad definition if you rightly understand that, but what they do with that then is they say, okay, well, you have to have your will actively um, believing and your intellect actively conforming for it really to be an act of faith. And so if you look at the negative side of that, for it really to be sin, you need to actively uh, conform your, your will and your intellect to it. And so the, the, Roman, the, the, the difference really comes down to how do we understand faith? And this is why this second article on original sin becomes so, of such primary importance, because it really comes down to what is in your heart. Is that, is, are these inclinations sin, or is it only sin if you act it out, just like it's only belief mm-hmm. if you act it, you know, act on it with your will and with your mind. So there's, so what the, the scholastics, and that's kind of the technical term here that, that Melanchthon is is going against these scholastic theologians mm-hmm. is uh, they're they're not going far enough in in talking about about our sinful nature. Uh, they're saying this lack of fear and trust in God is just sort of a um, a problem we have, but you can generate that up on your own almost. Is that is that fair to say, John? Yeah. Uh, well, sort of because. Uh uh, the Roman Catholic schoolmen or scholastics would say that, of course, you cannot do this. Uh, oh, you need the uh, grace of God to help you. Yeah, exactly. And that grace comes first in baptism. And uh, so this this whole definition of faith being an inclination 
of the will toward God. And this goes back to Augustine, uh, who uh, is very fun to read, but then you, you do note this, this weakness in his definition of faith, and it comes down to his definition of grace, that if, if faith is the, the orientation of your will toward God, then, then grace is that which helps you orient your will mm-hmm. God, rather than the favor of God. Uh, and so the, the question comes down to, uh, can the Christian, uh, uh, I suppose, does his will turn towards God? Uh, well, yes, it does. But it doesn't turn towards God with the aided grace that you're that you then make use of in order to become more worthy to be saved, to become righteous. But rather, the grace of God must remain the favor of God that uh, that looks past or forgives the sin, uh, including the sin of your original corruption. So, All right. So, so these schoolmen were kind of attributing something. There's something still left in man that can contribute in some way toward his own uh, salvation, and thereby they are minimizing uh, the far-reaching corruption of original sin. Let me go on here with uh, paragraphs 4 and 5, let's see, maybe 4, 5, and 6. Now we will show more fully that our our description agrees with the usual and ancient definition. First, we must show why we prefer to use these words in this place. In their schools, the adversaries confess that, quote, the material, as they call it, of original sin is concupiscence. We should not have passed by this fact in framing our definition precisely because some are offering philosophical speculations in a way that is not appropriate for teachers of religion. Some of them claim that original sin is not a depravity or corruption in human nature, but only servitude or a condition of mortality. They say that it is not inherent in our nature, but rather a burden put put on us as a result of Adam's sin, not that we have any such depravity of our own. Besides, they add that no one is condemned to eternal death on account of original sin, just as a child born of a slave woman becomes a slave not as a result of any personal fault, but as a result of his mother's condition. To show that this impious opinion is displeasing to us, we use the word concupiscence. With the best intention, we have explained this term, we have explained this term as diseases and said that the nature of human beings is born corrupt and full of faults. Now, um, why this? Why are the scholastics calling original sin or concupiscence a burden from Adam rather than our own depravity? Uh, Andrew? Well, because they don't want to uh, identify original sin as that which actually damns us, um, as that which that that um, that that is actually uh, something that we personally are responsible for. It rather becomes what they call it. You know, it's it's simply a punishment imposed by God, a consequence um, of sin, and. Uh, and and so so then we have a weakness, um, and as we'll read on further, you know they define it as lack of original righteousness. So we're, really, we're just lacking something. The, the way that I often explain this 
um, uh, the, the, the view of concupiscence um, uh, of, of, from the Roman Catholic standpoint. It's almost like having AIDS. Um, your, your T count is very low, your, your immune system is bad, and you don't really die of AIDS per se, you die of some other complication mm-hmm. um, that come about, come about um, uh, while you have it, and then you're not able to fight it off. And so, so they're, they're, they're going to look at it as, as, as more of a, um, you know, a, a disadvantage and a weakness um, rather than a rebellion against God from the will. And, now, uh, go ahead. So, yeah, and so, I mean, you, you can re- better understand that a rebellion against God from the will, a lack of fear, love, and trust in God um, is, is damning. Right. And they don't want to say that that's damning because they still want to allow a little bit in man, in his free will, to uh, to to kind of um, work with God's grace to be able, yeah. to, you know. For some work. reason, I am flashing on a scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, as I often do. I'm not dead yet. I'm, yeah. get, I'm or, getting better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or or from uh, uh, from the Princess Bride, uh, where uh, B- Billy Crystal's uh, character says that he's. He's not all dead. Um, okay. <laughs> he's mostly dead. Mostly dead. Yeah, yeah. there we go. All right. Uh, let me go on here. I want to cover a little more ground here. Uh, let's go on to uh, paragraphs 7 and following. We have not only used the word concupiscence, but we have also said that the fear of God and faith are lacking. We added this comment because the scholastic teachers do not understand the definition of original sin well enough. They take what they receive from the fathers, and like Augustine, and extend the definition of original sin. They argue that the evil inclination, and here is the, the Latin term fomes, is a quality like a blemish on the body. With their usual folly, they ask whether this quality is caused from the contagiousness of the apple or from the breath of the serpent, and whether whether medicines can cure the condition. They suppress the main point with such questions. Let me pause here, John Preuss. Uh, this term, fomes, the scholastics are saying that uh, original sin is just a, is like a, a quality. A, this evil inclination is like a quality, like a blemish on the body. Explain a little bit more why this term, what this term fomes has to do with it, and why is saying that it's just a blemish on the body, a quality, is not saying strongly enough? Well, uh, that's a good question. Uh, uh, as Andrew mentioned earlier, uh, calling it a tinder, as it's often stated, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's not part of the body, but what it is is a weakness that makes the body prone to... Uh, to the the sins of the flesh, uh, but having that weakness itself is not the same as giving in to the the sins of the. So this tinder would be like a little material that, if a spark gets on it, could flash into flame. But it's not a problem itself. Exactly, it'd be like it'd be like running through uh, uh, the wood soaked in kerosene. You know, okay. you can do it carefully and manage, but. So the Lutherans are saying this is a lot worse than that. And let me go on then to paragraph 8. So when they, the scholastics, talk about original sin, they do not mention the more serious faults of human nature, such as ignorance of God, contempt for God, 
total lack of fear of God and confidence in God, hatred of God's judgment, fleeing from God when he judges us, anger toward God, despairing of God's grace, putting trust in things of this world, and so forth. The scholastics do not notice all these diseases that are totally contrary to God's law. They even say that human nature is entirely capable of loving God above all things and fulfilling God's commandments according to the substance of the act. These diseases are totally contrary to God's law, but the scholastics do not notice them. They do not even realize that they are contradicting themselves. For what else is being able by one's own strength to love God above all things and fulfill his commandments except original uh, righteousness? If human nature is so strong that it is able on its own to love God above all things, as the scholastics constantly affirm, confidently affirm, what then is original sin? Why do we need Christ's grace if we can be justified as a result of our own righteousness? Why do we need the Holy Spirit if we are strong enough on our own to love God above all things and fulfill God's commandments? If there is there anyone who does not realize that our adversaries' ideas are absurd? They recognize the less serious diseases in human nature, but the more serious they do not even acknowledge. Scripture everywhere warns us, as the prophets constantly complain, about putting our confidence in our human abilities, contempt for God, hating God, and similar faults with which we are born. And uh, let's, let's pause there. Uh, there's a lot of ground that we just covered there. Uh, now, he mentions all these faults that we're born with, uh, hating God. Are you, gentlemen, if you're Lutheran pastors, are you actually saying that I'm ba that bad? That I actually, by nature, hate God and that uh, I'm angry toward him and, and I don't know him? Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, by nature you are, and we need to we need to make that clear that uh, we don't confuse the old man with the new man. Mm -hmm. um, if you're a Christian, you have you do love God according to your inward being, and you uh, you God has given you faith, and and uh, so we don't want to cause people to despair of the of of the truth of of God's uh, of the faith that God has given them, and and the love and and hope that He increases in them. But at the same time, they need to be aware of their natural inclinations, and this is something that, uh, you know, Martin Luther says uh, in this thing that he wrote to Frederick the Wise while Frederick was sick, um, these, these 14 consolations, he writes about sin. He says that if we truly knew um, how bad our sin was, uh, if, how, bad our, uh, how bad the sin in us is, we would be in hell. We wouldn't be able to take it. We would totally despair. And so, um, you know, when you... And this is something that I really try to kind of get through to my hearers, is that when you are bored with God's Word, when you kind of doze off, uh, kind of pay attention to something else in your head during the sermon, when you, when you don't feel like helping out your wife when she needs your help, you know, when you, when you just kind of, you know, all of these little inclinations that we're, we seem to get so used to, these are, these are wicked these are these are absolute hatred and contempt for God, and we really can't realize it by ourselves. I mean, if you're if you're I mean, think of it like this: if you're addicted to to, to if you're addicted to a drug, 
and you're you're trying to figure out really if you are if you really have a problem but the only guys that you ever talk to are the other people who are also addicted to it well they're going to be like oh wow you don't have a problem and they're all going to affirm themselves yeah you need someone outside of you to show you really your problem and this is what we need from god's word his law convicts us and and as god gives us faith and it increases us in the faith then we see more and more wow i really am by nature wicked and uh and, and we really do start to see just how how estranged our nature is to God, and we realize that this this nature doesn't need to be conformed. It doesn't need to be given a chance to fulfill God's law. No, it needs to die. It needs to be crucified. And I it's think right. of, I think of some scriptures. You know, even if our heart doesn't believe it, Scripture tells us. Psalm 51, in sin did my mother conceive me. John 3, flesh gives birth to flesh. You need to be born again. Romans 7, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins and were by nature children of wrath. Um, John Price, with just a couple minutes left, what does this false teaching do to the Christian faith, how does it undermine uh, our need for Christ? That's part A, and then part B, because we are this sinful, where do we turn for hope? That's very good. Uh, it undermines our, our faith in Christ by turning, uh, by turning the grace of God into that which activates our own potential, rather than that which shows us our Father's face. And uh, that's the grace of God. It's his regard for us. Uh, Luther talks about this a lot as we uh, consider the, the Lutheran Reformation these years, uh, that uh, he, he learned with that passage from Romans 1 to hate God, uh, because all the gospel was was a you-can-do-it-do-it do it, uh, message. Uh, in his hymn, uh, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice, he says concerning the good works that he thought the gospel was, help, was helping him accomplish. He said, My own good works all came to naught, no grace or merit gaining, free will against God's judgment fought, dead to all good remaining. And we're, we're running out of time here, but I'm Sorry. glad you mentioned that, that hymn, 556. I would also recommend our readers to look at hymn 555, Salvation Unto Us Has Come. And uh, stanzas three and four really uh, enunciate original sin there. But our hope and is in Christ who is atoned for both our original sin and our actual sins, and there is hope for sinners like you and me. You've been listening to Concord Matters on Worldwide KFUO.